You are listening to the Center Church Podcast. To learn more about Center Church, including our gathering times, please visit gocenterchurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Mike Corgan. Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, uh, please open to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning. And, and while you're turning there, I do think that it's important for us as a church to, to acknowledge um, if you spent any time uh, on social media over the past week or even spent any time watching the news, I think we're all probably well aware of the situation that's going on in the Ukraine right now, um, that there are people that are losing their lives uh, on a daily basis. And not only that, but there are also brothers and sisters in Christ. And we need to be praying, not only when we pray for the church, not only praying for Central or even the church in Central Florida, but praying for the church worldwide. And um, also, we want to, you know, the Bible tells us that we should be praying for our world leaders, right? So, uh, so if you don't mind, we're just going to take a moment just to spend some time in prayer uh, before we get uh, continuing this morning. Father, thank you for today. Father, we pray for the nation of Ukraine. God, we, God, we pray that, God, even in this moment of, of, of just darkness, Father, this moment of just, of just almost seeing how it's hard to see your hand, God, we know that, that your light shines the, bright, the brightest in the darkest rooms. And, God, we ask that, uh, that, Father, that you would just give peace to people who need it, and that, Father, um, that, you would, uh, that, your, that your spirit would just move in a mighty way. That, Father, that we would look back at this and, Father, while it is a tragic moment, God, we could see, uh, Father, a spark of what you're doing in the world. And, God, we also pray for our world leaders, Father, not just for the leaders of Russia and Ukraine, but also, Father, the leaders of all countries that could potentially get caught up in this. Father, we ask that you would just give your wisdom, that, Father, that, um, God, in, in your sovereign will and your sovereign timing, that, Father, that you would just, you would just bring peace. God, not just peace of, from, not just physical peace, but other also emotional and spiritual peace. Uh, God, we just thank you for this time. God, we ask that you be with our brothers and sisters in Christ that are suffering, uh, not only in Ukraine, but around the world. And that, Father, that we would, uh, not just today, but we would continually be in prayer for them. God, we thank you. We praise you. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen. Well, thank you for that. Um, so, as I said, we're in Luke chapter 3 this morning, and you know, we had the awesome opportunity of celebrating baptism earlier in this service. Uh, and it's one thing that's really cool is we also are going to be celebrating baptism in the second service as well. And, you know, it's, it's just an amazing thing, baptism, right? Because when I think of, I think of our li- my life, and you probably can think of yours, and there's certain milestones that you remember, right? Uh, you know, of course, I work with students a lot. So, uh, of course, um, you know, I think of, like, graduation, you know, like graduating from high school is, like, the kind of, like, a, a milestone moment. I also think of, like, for myself, I think of my marriage. is Like, the day that I got married, man, that's, like, a milestone moment for me. Uh, obviously, I know that, you know, when the Lord blesses Kayla and I with a child, that's going to be a milestone moment, uh, you know, where our life will never be the same. Maybe for you is when you saw Lord of the Rings for the first time. Uh, you know, whatever, you know where you were uh, when that was. Uh, you know, but in the life of a Christian, baptism is one of those milestone moments, right? Baptism is that day, man, I look back and I remember the day that I was baptized. Even for me, I remember I was 16 years old. I remember where I was baptized and I remember the moment. You know, and it's safe to say that 
Baptism is a very important aspect of the life of a Christian. That baptism is something that we see repeatedly emphasized throughout the New Testament. And oftentimes, baptism is something that is commanded of the followers of Jesus. And I think it's important for us to remember that baptism isn't a suggestion of Jesus. Baptism is a command that we're given. However, I do think it's very important for me to clarify something before we go anywhere this morning. That it's very, the Bible makes it very clear that baptism is not a requirement for salvation. I think it's very important that we're on the same page, that it is not required of you or of me to be baptized in order to be a Christian. Why? Well, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 makes this very clear, right? It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. This is not of works, lest any man should boast. So if we're not saved by our works, we're not saved by the things that we do, then we need to understand that we're not saved because of baptism. Does that make sense? In addition to this, we can look at the, the thief on the cross in Luke 23, Right When the thief on the cross looks over to Jesus, and what does he say? He says, Lord, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus looks at that thief, looks at that man as he is dying on the cross and says what? He says, truly I tell you, this day you will be with me in paradise. And we know, obviously, like they didn't say, oh, hold, hold the crucifixions. You know, they take him off the cross, baptize him, put him back. We also know that Jesus is just, and he's not going to make exceptions for some and not for others. We also know that Jesus is not a liar. So we can safely conclude that this man on this cross is saved the same way that every one of us in this room is saved, and that is strictly by the grace of Jesus that we receive through placing our faith in him. But nevertheless, baptism is still very, very important. It's still very important in the life of a Christian. It's also a pivotal responsibility of the church. You might recall in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, where Jesus is about to ascend to the Father. His last remarks that he leaves to his disciples, what does he say? He goes, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. He goes, go therefore and make disciples and what? Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That Jesus' last command to his followers, his last remarks before he ascended, was what? To make disciples and to baptize them. So for us to neglect the sacrament of baptism is to be disobedient as a church. Again, we're not saved because we're baptized. You don't have to be baptized to be a Christian. However, if you are a Christian... One of the first acts of obedience towards Christ is to publicly proclaim your faith through baptism. Now, when Pastor Ethan asked me to preach on baptism, I was like, awesome, you know, thank you. Because if you're not aware, baptism is a very controversial topic. Right? It's a very controversial topic. And I was like, yeah, let the student pastor preach on that. Cool. You know? Right? So baptism, the, the debates over baptism have been going on for years and years and years. People far educated than me and probably far educated than many of us in this room have debated over baptism. When should someone be baptized? At what age? I mean, infant baptism or believer's baptism? Then there's how should someone be baptized? Immersion or sprinkling? When should someone, or, or who should be the one baptizing them? Should it be a pastor? Could it be anybody? Where should they be baptized? Do they have to be baptized in the church? Denominations have been formed and they have split over the topic of baptism. 
So it's very important that, we are, that I'm clear with you this morning. That my goal today, my goal this morning is not to stand up here and preach to you my opinions on baptism. Nor is my goal to stand up here and to educate you on the Southern Baptist stance of baptism. Our goal this morning is to gather around the scriptures, gather around the word of God and see what does God have to say about baptism and its meaning and role in the life of a believer. That is what we are doing this morning. If you want my opinion, you can talk to me later. If you want to know Central's stance, come to Discover Central, okay? The first thing we need to do is we need to look at the focus of baptism. And we're going to see this in Luke chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 2. So if you would, please stand with me as we begin reading from the Word of God this morning. Luke chapter 3, starting in verse 2. It says, During the, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the Word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we just... God, I thank you for the fact that your word says that it will accomplish that which you have set forth to do. So, God, we ask this morning that your word will accomplish your will in the hearts and the lives of us and also in your church this morning. God, we just thank you. We praise you. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So we got a lot to cover this morning, right? If we're going to talk about a highly debated topic, we got we to hit the ground running, Right? So what we're going to see this morning is the first thing, we're going to see three things. But the first thing is the focus of baptism. See, when we consider New Testament understanding of baptism, when we think of the Christian concept of baptism, our natural inclination is probably to go directly to John the Baptist, right? I mean, he's probably the most explicit example that we have of, of modern baptism today. I mean, history recalls him as John the Baptizer, so, be, so if we're going to look at a biblical understanding of what baptism looks like, we should definitely go to the man whose ministry was marked by his preaching and practice of baptism. It's a pretty good place to start. But I want us to notice what the text says here in verse 3. It says, He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And then Luke will continue and say this, as it is written in the, books, in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. Now, as you read the New Testament, oftentimes you'll see this. You'll see a statement and then you'll say, as it is written. So when you see that, he's, the, the author is trying to help you understand that what I've just said is not just of my own imagination. It's found earlier in the scriptures. So what Luke is telling us here is he is saying that John preaching a baptism of repentance is fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah 40 saying that someone will come and prepare the way for the Messiah. And if you spent a significant amount of time in church or if you've spent any time hearing about John the Baptist, you probably heard this, right? That John came to prepare the way for the Messiah. And the question is, how did he do this? Well, Luke is making the point that Jesus... All right, so that John prepared the way for the Messiah by preaching and practicing a baptism of repentance. Does that make sense? 
that him doing this, that John baptizing and preaching a baptism of repentance is how he prepared the way for the Messiah. So the focus of baptism, we need to understand, the focus of baptism has been and always will be Jesus. This is so crucial for us to understand because if we're not careful, we will make baptism into something that it was never intended to be. Many see baptism as a way that they can be purified. Or maybe it's a way that they can be cleansed. Some people look at baptism as, oh, like I'm, I can be saved through that. Or man, I, I, I have all these sins in my life. I need to be forgiven. I need to get baptized. Maybe some people see it as a rite of passage. We see all these different things, but oftentimes, if we're not careful, what happens is that baptism becomes the object of our affection. And what happens also is sometimes, rather than placing our faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, we place our faith in the fact that we were baptized. I will tell you that, sadly, there are many people who are baptized that are not Christians. But there are also many Christians who are not baptized. I want you to know that if you're counting on baptism to save you, then you are sorely mistaken. Let me give you an example. So uh, my wife and I are uh, annual pass holders to Disney. Um, I don't know whether I should be proud of that or or not. I'm not sure. Uh, Grown man, no kids, going to Disney all the time. Uh, But we go to Disney. We, We love to go. And there's this moment when you go to Disney that if you've been, you already know, that there's the sign that says, Welcome to Walt Disney World, right? And it's just like, I just want to salute every time I pass it. You know what I mean? Just like, mmm, you know? It's like, yes, welcome to Walt Disney. You know, thank you, Walt Disney World. I feel welcome, right? I feel welcome. And then as you approach it, there's, there's, there's this moment. Where I don't know what, I don't know why I've grown up my whole life going to Disney. But every time I go, I have to take a picture of the sign, okay? I have to take a picture, right? Now, I don't do it while I'm driving, Okay. But my wife, she'll, you know, she'll you know, take the picture. I'm like, Kayla, get the picture, you know, whatever it is. And there's blinking signs telling you what? Don't stop. Keep going. Why? Because the sign is wonderful, but the sign is only wonderful because of what it points to, right? It's wonderful because it points to the park. And how ridiculous would it be for me to get, snag that picture of that sign, turn around, go home, and tell everyone that I went to Disney that day? And you would be like, no, you didn't. I mean, yeah, you went to the sign, but that's not Disney. The, Disney isn't the sign. Disney is Disney. And I would tell you it's the same way with baptism. That while baptism is a wonderful thing in the life of a Christian, baptism is not salvation. It is a sign that points us to Jesus, right? Baptism is meant to focus our hearts on Christ, but it is not Christ. We should never see baptism as a, we should never make the mistake of thinking that once someone is baptized, our part as the church is done. If anything, our job is just beginning. And I know that it's, it's, it's tempting for us to say, hey, let's just get them in the pool so we can send our numbers to the convention and show everyone how healthy Central is. But the end goal is not metrics. The end goal is Disciples. And that's what we're here to do. That's what we're here to do. We should never see baptism at numbers as a measure of our success as a church. 
So here's the question. How does baptism point us to Jesus? Well, again, it's found in this statement, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, this idea of baptism of repentance is extremely significant. In three out of the four Gospels, they all make this distinction, a baptism of repentance. And here's the question. Why does the author feel the need to make that specification? Why does the author need to make this distinction? Because you see, baptism was not unique to John the Baptist. In fact, baptism is not unique to Christianity. See, at this time, baptism was a regular practice amongst the Jews. It was a regular practice amongst Jews. Baptism emerges from the Jewish idea of ritual immersion. Ritual immersion. There's archaeological and historical evidence to support the idea that baptism was going on long before John the Baptist ever came on the scene. And the idea was simple. So if you look on the screen, there's going to be two pictures. That an individual, what they would do is they would walk into something called a mikveh or a ritual bath. So on the left, you'll see that this is actually a modern day mikveh. And on the right, you'll see that this is actually a first century mikveh. What they would do is that they would walk down into this bath. They would baptize themselves. They would immerse themselves. Then they would walk out purified. And they would do this for spiritual, to spiritually purify themselves. So before you could go into the temple to worship, you would have to first take a ritual bath. That's why if you go to Israel today, if you go to Jerusalem, you'll see out in front of the temple, there are literally hundreds of these ritual baths everywhere. Why? Because if you wanted to go into the temple to worship, you would first have to spiritually cleanse yourself, purify yourself, then you could go to worship. And these baptisms happened on a regular basis. Women were required by the law to to cleanse themselves on a monthly basis and also after they had children. People would purify themselves before Weddings, they would purify themselves before worship, they would purify themselves before Yom Kippur, and so on. The point is this, is that baptism was rather frequent in the life of a Jew. They did this all the time. So these ritual immersions or baptisms would be required to happen on a regular basis. This is actually in 2 Samuel when David is on his rooftop and he looks out and sees Bathsheba bathing. This is what scripture tells us that she was doing in 2 Samuel 11. It says she had been purifying herself. So for a Jew to walk by and see John the Baptist baptizing someone was not uncommon. They're like, okay, I know what that is. But what was uncommon was what John was preaching with his baptism. That was what was uncommon. See, when Luke tells us that John was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, he's telling us that the focus of John's baptism was not ritual purity. The focus of John's baptism was not ceremony or tradition. Rather, John's baptism centered on the individual identifying themselves as a sinner in need of forgiveness. That is the difference. Every time we see someone get baptized or when you are baptized, it's important that we understand that it is first how we are identifying ourselves publicly as I am a sinner in need of Jesus. In addition to this, these ritual cleansings would continually have to be renewed. The Jews would constantly have to go through these. On the contrary, John was preaching a one-time baptism that doesn't need to be renewed. It's a cleansing that is final and sufficient. You see where this is going? 
Because you see, the Jews, the, 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 the constant baptisms that the Jews would undergo was pointing to, it was a mirror of the constant sacrifices that they had to present. Right? There was constant sacrifices that they would have to present constantly and continually. I'm sure every time that they took one of these ritual baths, it was in the back of their mind there was a reminder that they would have to do it again. And every time that they would offer an animal as a sacrifice for sins, it was a constant reminder that they would have to do it again. Constantly having to do this again and again. You see, no baptism was sufficient because no sacrifice was sufficient. But John is preaching of a different baptism. John is preaching of a baptism that is sufficient. Why? Because he's preaching about the one who is sufficient. He's preaching of a baptism that is sufficient because he's pointing to a sacrifice that is sufficient. Not a cleansing that is physical and ritualistic, but a cleansing that is spiritual and is final. John is preparing the way for the Messiah by foreshadowing the reason that he has come. And that's why when, we, when he sees Jesus, what does he say? He says what? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. See, Jesus came to cleanse us from our sins once and for all. Once and for all. Every time we celebrate someone being baptized as a church, we celebrate with that individual, but we also celebrate the fact that not only did Jesus' sacrifice sufficient for them, but it's sufficient for me too. Sufficient for me too. And isn't that good news that we, if we are in Christ, we are forever cleansed. That my standing before God is not dependent on myself or my actions or what I can do. If you're in this room this morning, or if you're watching online, please hear me when I say this, that nothing cleanses you like Jesus can cleanse you. That there's no number of good deeds, no amount of church attendance or money given that can cleanse you sufficiently like Jesus can cleanse you. And that is what we celebrate as Christians. The darkest stain of sin in your life is no match for the cleansing power of Jesus. The cleansing Sorry, the darkest stain of sin in your life is no match for the cleansing power of Jesus. You see, before the cross, baptism was meant to point them to a day where one day they could be forever cleansed. And on this side of the cross, baptism is a reminder of how he already has. Of how he already has. So we see the focus of baptism is Jesus. Now we move to the second part, which is the imagery of baptism. The imagery of baptism. Continuing on, in verse 7, he says, He said, Therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Side note, John the Baptist was not looking to make friends in the way that he preached. Could you imagine if I just walked on stage, and I just walk up, and I just look at you, and I say, and I just say, You bunch of snakes. And I was like, why are you even here? Right? And you're like, is the youth pastor talking to me like that? Right? Right? Like, he's not looking to make friends and influence people. But nonetheless, he continues on. And John looks at the crowd, and what does he do? He commands them to repent of their sins. And in verse 8, what does he say? He goes, and bear fruit in keeping with repentance. What does this mean? Ultimately, what it means is that he is commanding them, repent of your sins and repent of your sins in a way and live a life that shows this continual repentance. Live a life that shows this repentance. 
You see, the word repent is translated metanoeo, and in the Greek, it literally means a change of mind. Repent means, in the, in the Greek, it means to change your mind. In particular, when we talk about from, to repent of sins, it means to change one's mind concerning sin and righteousness. You see, to hate the sin that you once loved and to love the God that you once hated. And this change of mind towards sin and towards righteousness then becomes manifested in the things that you do. John illustrates this. He illustrates what this looks like in the following verses, which we don't have time to dive fully into this morning. But what he goes on to say is he he commands this crowd of, of sinners to basically be willing to give of yourself for the good of other people. Then he commands the tax collectors to stop extorting money from the poor. Then he commands the soldiers to not abuse their power. Literally, John is commanding these people to change their mind in such a way that it manifests itself in their actions. He's commanding them to die to their old ways of living and thinking and live anew. And just to be clear, that is biblical repentance. That is biblical repentance. Repentance is not, I'm sorry, God, and going about my day. Repentance is not like a a one-time, like a flu shot. Like, I took care of that. Don't worry about me. Repentance is an ongoing changing that goes on in the heart of a believer over the course of their life. The sign that you truly have repented unto salvation is that you continue in that repentance. See, the life of a Christian is a life of repentance. And while our repentance may not be perfect, His grace always is. I want you to hear that this morning, that we don't depend on amazing repentance. We depend on amazing grace. We're not saved by amazing repentance. We're, excuse me, we're saved by amazing grace. So how does baptism illustrate this dying to our old selves and living anew to Christ? Well, I'm glad you asked. We jump over to Romans chapter 6. And in Romans, Paul is giving an in-depth explanation of the gospel, right? The first 12 chapters, or the first 11 chapters, he's explaining the gospel in depth. And literally just a couple verses before this, He goes on to say that, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Paul is writing, talking about the goodness of the grace of Jesus and saying that his grace is so incredible that where your sin seems to be stacking up and stacking up and your, your sin seems to be growing and growing, God's grace is greater than your sins. That there is no sin you have committed that is greater than the blood of Jesus. There's no sin that you and I have committed that it reaches the barriers of God's grace. Some of you are like, man, Mike, that sounds great, but you don't know how I've sinned. And I would say, you don't know God's grace. Well, then the thought is, well, if his grace is sufficient for all of my sins, then why not just continue sinning? Which Paul addresses in Romans 6. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You see, baptism is a picture of this. Do you see that? That baptism is a picture of this, that when someone goes beneath the water, we see the symbolism of dying to our old self. 
that our old self was laid to, was laid down, our old self has died, and when we come out of the water, we, it's the symbolism of being raised to a new life in Jesus. A new life in Jesus. You see, that's what it means to be a Christian. Please hear me. Being a Christian is not about praying and reading your Bible. Being a Christian is not about coming to church every Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Monday, whenever. Being a Christian is to say that my old nature was crucified with Christ. And when you think of your sin and your past mistakes, to know that those mistakes and those sins were put to death on the cross. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You see, this is salvation. This is salvation. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is forgiveness. To know that we have been given freedom from the punishment of sin, but also freedom from, that, from the power of sin so that we are free to live a life that brings honor and glory to Jesus. Please see that. And the imagery of baptism is that when we go beneath the water, it's, this, it's, it's the, that my old self, my old ways are dead, that the old Michael that I may be ashamed of is long gone. And the old you that maybe you're still wrestling with, through the blood of Jesus, you can have faith and confidence that that old you is long gone. And that through Christ, you have a new life. A new life. Letting go of what was yesterday and striving forward for what God has for you ahead. And when you understand that the, the focus of baptism is all about Jesus. When you see the imagery of baptism is all about the, the symbolism of what this life looks like when we come to Christ then you can truly begin to appreciate the beauty of baptism. In verse 15, we go on, it says this, As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ. Ultimately what we see is that these people, that they have been anticipating this Messiah for so long waiting for the Messiah to come. And then they hear this guy preaching of a baptism of repentance, talking about the kingdom of God is coming and at hand. And their, their, their natural thought is, well, well, maybe this is the dude. Maybe this is him. And as is often the case, we tend to love the people who told us the gospel more than the gospel itself. But John immediately begins to deny these claims. He's denying these claims that he's the Messiah by pointing to two things. One, Jesus' worthiness, and two, Jesus' baptism. In verse 16, John answered them saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. See, the way that John emphasizes the worthiness of Jesus is by explaining the difference between him and Jesus. Is the core, and one of the core differences is their baptisms are different. That the way that John baptizes is different than the way that Christ baptizes. He says, I baptize you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, there's been a lot of teaching on this. With the time that I have left, a little bit of time... I want us to kind of unpack what John means here because I believe that your understanding of this verse is going to greatly impact your life as a disciple of Jesus. 
Well, baptism of water, we spent a significant amount of time explaining that this morning, right? We understand that water baptism, it's meant to point us to Jesus and illustrate our new life in Christ, right? Water baptism is outward and symbolic. But what does he mean when he speaks about Jesus baptizing us with the Holy Spirit and fire? Well, the first thing we need to understand is this, is that our relationship with Jesus is more than strictly physical, There is a spiritual component to a new life in Christ. And if that is neglected, then we have a shell of Christianity that may look Christian on the outside, but it lacks the substance of true life change. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, there are some people who will disagree with what I'm going to tell you, depending on your theological leaning. But I think the Bible makes this extremely, extremely clear. That baptism of the Holy Spirit is not something that happens separate from salvation. It is not. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is not something that happens separate from salvation. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is not an experience. It's not a feeling. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is when you are filled with the Holy Spirit at the moment of your salvation. Just to kind of reinforce this idea, 1 Corinthians 12 Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Here's the Notice that he says that we were all baptized in the spirit. And how can he make such a claim? Because he's writing to Christians, right? He's writing to a group of Christians. He's writing to people who are all Christians, and if baptism of the Holy Spirit was something that happened apart from salvation, then he could not make that claim. He couldn't. Why? Well, because some Christians have it and some Christians don't. But clearly, there's no distinction. Because Paul is uniting the filling of the Holy Spirit with being saved. John John Piper goes on to explain this a little bit. He says, now, I think virtually everyone agrees that Paul's understanding here of baptism by the Spirit is the act by which the Spirit unites us to Jesus Christ and His body, the church. In other words, it's conversion. It's becoming a Christian. This is what it means to be a Christian, to be moved upon by the Holy Spirit in such a way that we are brought to faith and united to Jesus. Let's be clear this morning. To, to, be, to be a Christian is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, there are moments where we're made more aware of His presence in our lives. Absolutely. There are moments where we are made more aware of his presence. There are times where we're filled with boldness and, and we see God do amazing things within us. However... Those are not to be confused with being filled with the Holy Spirit for the first time at salvation. Let's be very clear too. If you are not filled with the Holy Spirit, you are not a Christian. The Bible is clear. If you are not filled with the Holy Spirit, you are not a Christian. How do we know that? Ephesians 1, 13-14. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. What is it? The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our salvation. If you have the Holy Spirit living within you and you see, you have conviction when you sin, you see this repentance, this changing of your heart over time, you see these things going on, you see evidence of the Holy Spirit explained in Galatians 5. That is the guarantee of salvation, not baptism. Not praying a prayer when you're in vacation Bible school. But the presence of the Holy Spirit. 
Paul again will make this point that as Christians, the sign that we are truly saved is that we have the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are a variety of services, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Every Christian. See, baptism of the Holy Spirit is what happens when you are saved. And I'll also be very clear on another point. It is not always accompanied by speaking in tongues or other miraculous signs. And the reason I have to emphasize that is because there there are some people who will say that if you do not show these signs, you are not filled with the Holy Spirit. But what do you do with 1 Corinthians 12? Where Paul says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. What we need to understand is that if you're filled, the mark of the Holy Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit, not the gifts of the Spirit. Are you with me? And the reason that this is so important is as a student pastor, I have student after student that constantly is scared to death that they're not saved because they don't see God doing the same things in their life as they see other people's. We don't measure our salvation based on what we see or how we feel. We measure our salvation based on what the Word of God says. So baptism in the Holy Spirit is the inward change when Christ saves you. Water baptism is symbolic and outward. Spiritual baptism is inward and real. John is saying that I can, baptize, I can baptize you symbolically, but only Christ can baptize you for real. And know this, if you haven't been baptized and you want to be, know this, please, that we can baptize you symbolically. We can show, we can allow that to be a step of obedience, how you proclaim the gospel through your baptism. But please know that only Jesus can baptize you for real. Only Jesus. And then we see baptism by fire. Now, It's an interesting, another thing that is highly abused. But what does John mean by this? It's probably not what you've heard. Baptism by fire is not what you've probably seen with televangelists or what you've seen with other things. Nowhere in the Bible do we see baptism of the Holy Spirit, baptism by fire being manifested in certain ways that people like to proclaim that it is. Ultimately, what it means is this. It means that Jesus will purify his church. That if you have been baptized by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, then God, through the inworking of the Holy Spirit, will change you. And like I've, I've said this before, but when you don't understand something in the Bible, if you keep reading, oftentimes the author will explain it. So he baptized you by fire, verse 17. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor, and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chafe he will burn with unquenchable fire. So what, is, what, is, what does that mean? So at this time, right, so they would, I don't know if you've ever uh, farmed for wheat. Um, I certainly haven't. Uh, not one of my pastimes. But when they farm for wheat, if, if you've ever seen wheat, is basically there's, there's, there's husk and there's all of these things in it, but deep in there is actually the wheat that's usable. So when they harvest the wheat, at this time, especially in the first century, there was a giant marble slab, and they would dump all of the wheat and all of the things onto this marble slab, and the farmer would go in with his winnowing fork, or much like a pitchfork, he will stick it in and he'll throw it up. Stick it in, 
throw it up. And what happens is when he throws it up, all of the excess drifts off into the wind and all of the wheat that is usable falls to the bottom. So what, what John is saying here is an example of baptism by fire is the example that Christ will separate his church. He will separate the, wheat, the, the sheep from the goats. It means that as a Christian, Jesus will refine you. You see, we do not clean ourselves up before we come to Christ. When I grew up, I played football growing up my whole life. And when you would come home, you would have like this line of dirt where your, pat, where your pants ended. And it just looked like I, I looked like I'd been in a coal mine all day, right? And how ridiculous would it be if I was like, my mom was like, take a shower. And I'm like, okay, but let me clean myself off first. That sounds ridiculous. Why? Because the shower is meant to clean you. Please know that you don't clean yourself off before you come to Jesus. You come to him as you are. But know this, that you come to him as you are, but he will not leave you that way. He will not leave you that way. This idea of a refining fire is emphasized throughout in Zechariah and Malachi. And I don't have time to read those. But what you need to know is ultimately how they would refine metals back then. Right? If I had gold and I wanted to refine it, how do you get the impurities out of gold? Well, you apply an immense amount of heat to it. And it melts it. And ultimately all of the impurities float to the top. Then they would go through, they would scrape the impurities out, throw them away, until eventually what you have left is a pure block of gold. And you need to know that as a Christian, that is what Christ does with us every single day. Every day. Even the moments of your life that are difficult, where it feels like life is just applying an immense amount of heat to you. Christ is refining you. Christ is refining you. If you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit of God and bought by the blood of Jesus, you need to know that what comes with that is that over time he will make you more like Christ. Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now we see that word predestined and we kind of freak out. Hang with me. What are they predestined to do? Predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. What this is saying is that if you are bought by the blood of Jesus, if you are saved, one of the evidences of your salvation is that over time, God has predestined things in your life to make you more like Jesus. And while I may not be perfect and I stumble and I fall, see, the progression of a Christian isn't necessarily like this. It's more like this. Right? We stumble and we fall. But here's the thing. I'm more like Jesus now than I was 10 years ago. You see, we're not saved by perfect repentance. We're saved by perfect grace. You don't clean yourself off before you come to Jesus. He does the cleaning for you. And one thing that's amazing is, you know, we talked about what baptism symbolizes, what it does. And, you know, it's interesting how... But, you know, like I said, baptism is the way that someone comes and they publicly identify as a sinner in need of forgiveness. And you know what's interesting about that is that Jesus was baptized. Jesus was baptized. But why would he be baptized? When you read the account of Jesus' baptism, John says, no, far be it, Lord. Like, you need to baptize me. What does Jesus say? He says, no, this is necessary to fulfill all righteousness. And what he's saying here is this, is that Jesus came, like we said, he came to this earth to to pay for your sins and for mine. Christ came to cleanse us once 
and for all. If he's going to die in your place, he's going to be the acceptable sacrifice, the perfect high priest that Hebrews says. Then he first has to identify with us in our weakness. Now, he didn't become a sinner, but the humility of Jesus to identify himself with sinners like you and me, though he himself was spotless, is beautiful. And how through baptism, we identify with Christ, but through that same baptism, Christ identified with us. And that's what it means to be a Christian. You know, it's amazing when when you talk about preaching, what does it mean to be baptized? We ultimately end up just preaching the gospel. Because that's what it points to. And if you're in this room this morning and you have not been baptized, if you are a Christian, I encourage you, be baptized. If you're interested in baptism, you could text the number on the screen, 407-338-4024. We can do that next Sunday. Probably not, there's a vote. No, we can do it next Sunday. I'm not in charge of that. <laughs> if you're, or if you're in this room and you're like, man, I just don't know if I've, I've been trying all these things to cleanse myself. But just that idea that only Jesus can clean, can clean me. Man, I need that. Well, what greater day to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus than when we get to celebrate it through baptism? I encourage you, do not leave this place unsure of where you are with Christ. Father, I thank you. Thank you for your word. I thank you for this time that you've given us. God, I ask that as we we reflect on you, we reflect on what baptism is, that God, that you would just draw us to yourself. God, if there's anyone in this room that does not know you as Savior, that Father, that today would be the first day of the rest of their life. And God, for those of us who do know you, God, that when we think of our salvation, when we think of our baptism, that God, we would just leap with joy, knowing that, Father, the rest of our lives, we live in peace and comfort and joy, knowing that no matter what life throws at us, that, Father, you have paid the price to clean us for eternity. God, we thank you for this day. I thank you for this time. And God, as we approach you in worship, Father, I just ask that your spirit would do work that I cannot do. God, I can speak to ears all day long, but only you can cut to the heart. God, I thank you. I praise you in the name of your son, Jesus. Thank you again for listening to The Central Church Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at gocentralchurch.org.